1: Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on DailyFaceOff.com. Welcome to episode 251 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger. As always, it's brought to you by Batano. The game starts now. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Batano.ca. Uh, I know that it's been uh, you know hit or miss on the NHL. Lots of games one night. Very few the next night. Well, uh, that's going to even out a little bit here uh, starting in November. So I have way more opportunities. Of course, NBA got your Monday, Thursday, and Sunday nights for the NFL. Check it all out at patano.ca. As uh, we welcome in Frank Saravalli once again. And uh, Frank, there's lots to discuss. Uh, Of Mm -hmm. course, the the big topic is the uh, the Ottawa Senators who have uh, been punished for – I guess uh, not divulging a no trade list for Dadanoff off uh, from something that stems back in July of 2021.
3: So Mar- March. Yeah. March, 2022 yeah. is when it. Well, that's really- when
1: he got traded, but originally they traded yep. him in July of 21. Right. So supposedly that's when they were supposed to uh, say it. So, you know, I've talked to a few other, uh, you know, capologists and stuff, and there's a lot of people that have questions, Frank, because in typical NHL fashion, they send on a press release that doesn't explain very much, and you know, then reporters have to dig into it. So, what have you uncovered here? Did
3: Dorian basically just withhold information? So, it's it's usually not the GM that does the trade call. It's usually one of the assistant GMs that goes through it. Sometimes the GM is on the line. I don't think in this case. It specifically was Pierre Dorian personally. Right. Um, and what we had here and what unfolded was a 73 page report that amazingly didn't come for 591 days after the 2022 trade deadline when the trade of Evgeny Dadanov from uh, Vegas to Anaheim was invalidated by the league. Why yeah. it took that long, as Michael Anlauer asked the question, beyond me, uh, this is a two-day hearing process. I don't know what the lawyers that work for the NHL or around the NHL get paid, but I imagine it's a princely hourly sum. And it's surprising to me that it took this long to come together. So the end result is kind of simple to to formulate. It's When the trade happened from um, Ottawa to Vegas, on the call, and the league has record of this, the Vegas Golden Knights asked, is there anything to be aware of as far as a no-trade clause? Do you have a list? And they were told no. And so the Sens did not provide info on the clause or the list, and that sort of began the spiral, which then resulted in that later trade um you know eight months later from being nullified so um it was a tough spot for the golden knights to be in the ducks were unhappy that they didn't get a second round pick as part of that trade the golden knights were mad and miffed at the time that they not only didn't get the cap relief that they needed at the deadline but also wore the embarrassment of making it seem like they didn't have their stuff together by not having the list and all the blowback came on the sends. The problem for Michael Landlauer now owning the team and only owning the team for 40 days is he's now had to deal with two really embarrassing punishments from the NHL. Neither one which he had any link to and also apparently didn't have very much knowledge of. So, so
1: Frank, I just want to recap. So okay. the Ottawa Senators got punished a first round selection in 24 25 26 for one, not divulging yep yeah one of those years for not divulging all the information correct that's essentially what it was correct. and so oh by the way the nhl just sold the ottawa senators to michael andlauer and during the sale didn't divulge all the information they knew that was ongoing about the ottawa senators organization they didn't tell him about this they didn't tell him so- about the Shane Pinto investigation like doesn't it seem
3: hypocritical I think it's important to point out that no, he did not know about the Shane Pinto investigation that had been ongoing since the summer. But he said, if you read through the transcript and I have the audio on my phone, he said he did know as part of a due diligence process about an ongoing investigation with regards to this punishment that might be coming. But he had zero clue as to the severity of it and i think that severity of it is what caught everyone by surprise this week you're thinking kind of maybe hey the the ducks didn't get a second round pick maybe that's what the punishment is here to go to a first rounder seems a little bit draconian in terms of that punishment heavy handed and so his point was the previous ownership group the group selling the team thought that this was an immaterial issue And his, his, his answer to that was, I don't know about you guys. If you think that first round picks are a non-issue, but there there's something to me. And that was really kind of the source of his frustration. I mean, put yourself in his shoes, right? This bidding process to get the sends goes on forever. There's this last round of bidding that no one really understands even what they're, why are they bidding against themselves, topping up their own bids when, at least to my knowledge, one of the three finalists to get the team was a total sham to begin with. And so I'm sure that Michael Anlauer is sitting there feeling today like he got bilked out of an extra hundred million dollars at the end, milk, milk, squirt, squirt, and all of a sudden ends up with um a team that, you know, now 40 days in has to deal with two different black eyes that have been, you know made it seem like this team and their, the start that they're off to under him is dysfunctional when he really has nothing to do with it. Well, and, and I just, you know what? I look at, at
1: a lot of the decisions lately under Gary Bettman. So Ottawa gets punished like this for a first round selection, right? In one of those three years, which is pretty significant. Um The investigation of the Kyle beach, what does Chicago get fined? 2.5 million. Yeah. So, 2.5 million for a billion dollar team
3: or a first round pick. What hurts them more, do you think, realistically, right? So, well that we first think- round pick by the way might have been Connor Bedard. I mean, think about it. We don't know which year they would have been forced to cough up. They could yeah. have very So that's well my been point. Connor Bedard. Exactly, right? So, that's my point is covering up um
1: abuse like that. Uh, gets you less of a punishment in theory for hurting your organization than uh, not divulging a no trade list. And I'm not excusing. Like I'd love to know why this sent now, did the guy just have a brain fart and forget. And then that's it. Like I talked to a few agents, Frank, who said, you know what, if you think your player is going to get traded, you have a conversation with the GM and most agents know that there's a no trade list. Like there was obviously some, it was on
3: tap friendly. It said that that Evgeny Dadunov, I believe it said that he had a 10-team no-trade list.
1: So th- so that's my point here. Like, this is something that I'm not saying it's an innocent mistake. Like, if you just flat-out lied, you deserve to be punished. There's no question. But it seemed like this was something that others could have figured out, and now the Ottawa Senators, you know, 20 months after the actual trade was voided, like, are, are paying the price. Like, hey, this should have happened in April or May of 2022 and be done with.
3: Well, that, that was kind of my point, is why did, like – why didn't this, why wasn't this justice meted out earlier? It should, like, the fact that it didn't, and it it almost seemed like they were saving it until they got to the other side of this sale, that's what's really disappointing. Honestly, I'm at the point, Frank, I think, you know what, and I know that the owners are
1: going to look and say, you know what, he's made us a lot of money. I just think the tenure of Gary Bettman, it's time for a change. I just think he's too power hungry where he thinks he can do whatever he wants, however he wants. They don't have to explain anything because it's Sir Gary Bettman. And I just, I think it's not good for the league because it's happened in numerous occasions where I don't think the punishment has fit the crime. You look at Chicago, you look at uh, what they did in Shane Pinto. There's no explanation whatsoever. Um, How they do about a lot of their business. I just think it's time. I think it's, it's way too much of, well, I can do whatever I want with my inner group of people. And it sits, and I don't think it's better for the players. And I really don't think it's better for the fans.
3: So let me play devil's advocate for a second and I'm not defending anyone here. And if you've listened to me, you know that I don't have a dog in any fight. Isn't his job to squeeze out the very best price that he can for the, for the franchise. Not not if you want to do it by being lying or withholding information and then
1: punishing teams for doing the same thing. If you set a precedent that it's, guess what? We can do whatever it takes to get the most money without any moral upstanding. To me, that's an issue.
3: I think that's a fair point. I'm just saying if at the end of the day you are the Melnick estate or you are another team in a similar spot that has their franchise that ends up being sold, Aren't you thrilled? Isn't that really all that matters? He no, can take the bullets. No. He can take it, the bullets and doesn't care. It goes off of him like water off of a duck's back. Because at the end of the day, the people that write his check, the people that employ him, are thrilled that that's the end result. Well, to but me, we, if- we get lost in this because we we think oh, this is what's for the good of the game. This is what's for whatever no, it else, whatever state, whatever case you want, but he doesn't work for the fans. He's he's made it clear time and time again that he he doesn't. Okay, here's we the point, We wouldn't have Frank. multiple lockouts. We wouldn't have, you know, multiple things that pop up. This is, he knows who he works for, and that's I don't, it. I
1: don't, I don't discount that. So then you're saying, so... If, if all they work for is we don't care on any moral standing because let's be honest, had you told Ann Lauer about these situations, how much lower would the price tag have been realistically? My guess is and not, not at all. So that's my point. So what does it change? Everybody out there will tell their kids, don't lie. You don't lie. It's the worst thing to do maybe, to lie. So but it's they, like, well, uh, Hey, we, Hey, we, we, if heard even, heard oh, let them. me finish. Okay. If you can make more billions of dollars or millions of dollars in the sale, well then it's okay to lie. That's bullshit. It's utter bullshit. And you can't have a commissioner standing at the top of your league saying, we're going to sell a maximum price. And if we have to mis- mislead people in buying it, as you said, put out a sham of, a, of a, co- a bidder to make it look like it's better, that's awful. And and eventually big sponsors are going to say, why do you want to do, deal with this? Because trust me, there's lots of other people that you can deal with. They're above board.
3: So what I would say to that is one you're taking it as fact that the league is lying, or not being on the up and up and fully um, clear. Well, did about- they know? About-
1: and Lauer said he didn't know about the Pinto situation.
3: Correct, but he he did know that there was an ongoing investigation, but they didn't tell him about the severity of this punishment at, with regards to the Dadnoff case. Yeah. So again, not telling. Not the full okay, story. but we also didn't give them a chance to respond. And here's kind of what my big issue is, is there's such such a lack of transparency when it comes to all of it that that I think is my biggest problem here. They send out a one-sentence statement essentially on Shane Pinto's suspension and say the league will have no further comment. They send out the statement about the Dadanoff pick forfeiture and then say the league will have no further comment. I'm not afraid, you know me, to put on my hard hat, dig in and do the work and and get the details and the reporting as to what exactly went on here. And I've written full stories. You can read them on dailyfaceoff.com, all the background you could possibly want to know about the Dadinoff situation and how it played out. But when you have an owner that's new to the table and, and isn't, in fact, isn't even really new to the table. I've been going to board of governors meetings for a long time now. Michael Anlauer has been in those meetings as minority owner of the Montreal Canadiens for a long time. The fact that he took the NHL and, and the commissioner to the woodshed publicly on Wednesday gives you some sort of indication as to, one, uh, what tr- true transparency is, because he said point blank, the Ottawa senators are going to be transparent. And two, um, just further insight into how we've gotten to this point of because the league says it's so, that's the way that it is. And there's really no pushback or question. And that, I think, is the most disappointing part is almost everyone seems to just get in line. Look at the NHLPA. They're guilty of it, too. Look at this Pinto situation. Because... The commissioner says it's 41 games. We're just going to roll over and take it. I know that they were part of the investigation and the answer from the PA would have been, hey, well, you know, it could have been 82 games and then we could have gotten a neutral arbitrator and he maybe would have knocked it down to 41. You just allowed the league to set precedent here without any pushback. And public or not, that's that's the the statement that you essentially gave off is, we're, we're willing to just bend the knee. And I think that's, that's a really troubling aspect of the way this league operates right now is there's this fear of stepping out and, and saying something. I mean, there's even question this morning, you know, will the Sens be fined? Will they be whatever? Will they get slapped for being as honest and open as they were on Wednesday?
1: Yeah, which leads back to my original point. Who runs the circus? right? Gary Bettman's the one who allows it as the commissioner. And he's also the one who oversaw the debacle of the, the whole pride tape situation recently that, you know, Oh, this is what we're going to do. They don't put any thought into it. And all it takes is one player, not even a superstar player of your team, Travis Dermott to say, pound sand, I'm going to use it. And, oh, geez. Now we're going to revert our, our decision on that one. Meanwhile, you know what? There's no cancer nights or anything like that, at least to the same vein because of it. Like yeah, you to see me, players I just think- walk
3: into the arena wearing the jerseys, As as their way to enter the building because that's the only way they can do it. Like to me, it's just it it's a string of things that just add
1: up and add up, and you and you have an inner circle of owners and Gary Bettman who think, well, we can just run things however we wanted for a long time. And to me, he just looks drunk with power. And I think it's
3: time for a change. So who like, I guess my question is, who's gonna step out and do it? I, I think there's lots
1: of people and and Frank. Um, Further to your point about the Ottawa sham, I think there would be lots of people who would love to be a commissioner of the National Hockey League who have lots of experience. No, I don't mean do levels. the
3: job. I mean who's going to ultimately force the hand and say after thirty some years, time's up? Yeah, it's a fair question. That, right? That's, well, that's you know really where, the only. But you know way where it starts? It starts honestly
1: with more media people not being compliant and say, "Hey, here's the facts. These are the things." And call it out because Gary Bettman, like, he'll lie to your face, Frank. He lied directly to my face in the NHL playoffs when I asked him about start time. Oh, I have the sheets right in front of me. The NHL website tells you the start time of every game. This is not an opinion. This is a fact. It's right there. And he lied boldface when I asked him, like, why are your start times all over? No, we started 07 and 37. It's bullshit. No, you don't. And, and here's the thing. That is a very simple thing. MLB announces game starts first pitch 107 and they start at 107 NFL games start on time. This is not a hard thing to do. It's just another small thing that Gary Bettman's like, well, who cares? Our fans, they don't care. We'll start at 07, 015, 22. No, it's, it's, it's amateur hour and the commissioner allows it. It would be very simple to say teams, your puck drop is 707 simple. I saw when they have ceremonies, they have it down to the minute of what they want to do. This is not difficult. And it's he just doesn't do it. And to me, there it just adds up a lot of little things that add up. The the NHL has not grown remotely the same as other leagues when you look at uh, their salary cap, you look at the um the Maybe amount they of advertising, don't want to. everything look else. At,
3: why would they have to? Look at what they pay players, and I know it's all relative to total revenue, yeah. But lo- look at what they pay players relative to. Franchise valuation and how that's grown. They've had like the Ottawa Senators, a team that five years ago was considered like the 28th most valuable team in the league, just reached nearly 1 billion US dollars. Yeah, hey, that's great. Why, All what, my point, so, but if my we point never is, point it out and everybody just goes along like sheep and oh, everything's great, I think it's that's, a problem. That's, me. that's not what I do. It's I'm not saying that that's what the rest of the landscape appears to do. Even just look at the way the press conference yesterday was covered. I didn't see very many tweets with some of the most damning quotes pumped out. Yeah. Well, well that's
1: my point. If, if, if everybody becomes compliant and so there needs to be more of a, Gary Bettman, I'm sorry. It's done. Like I'm just, I have no respect for somebody who bold-faced lies on many different occasions. Lying's not acceptable. It's the most simple, basic thing we teach our kids. It's not acceptable in business just because it's a sport. That's all I'm saying. It's,
3: and and I, my only answer to that is there is a, first off, we don't know everything. I'm not defending him, but I'm saying in reply to that is we don't know everything because of the lack of transparency. And two, um, I think lying is a different step. It's a version of lying, but um not being entirely transparent is a different thing, sure, but
1: misleading, not
3: telling him that, um, perhaps well, yeah, perhaps misleading. Maybe his response to that would be, I didn't make up my mind in terms of what the punishment would be until last week. well, but the Shane maybe Pinto the report was completed, but maybe he yeah. didn't make up his mind until then, sure.
1: they never mentioned the Shane Pinto investigation, so that's withholding information, which is essentially lying, right. Are you giving us everything when we're going through a buying process?
3: Maybe, maybe his response, I'm, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate because you know that he, he always there's an answer for everything. So you yeah, know that there's going to be an answer coming. And maybe the answer would be we were still in the fact-finding mission with regards to Shane Pinto and weren't at any point able to say anything because of the ongoing investigation and didn't want to tip anyone off. That I don't I'm, I'm just I don't know what the yeah. answer is there has to be some sort of reason there has to be some sort of process that the league goes through that ends up where they do I don't think I I I, I don't regardless of whatever pro- you think of him or what anyone else thinks of him and how this league operates I don't I don't believe that they just get out of bed in the morning and willy-nilly wake up and oh let's just do this today I do think there actually is a process I just think at times it goes awry.
1: Yeah, I don't know about that. I, Gary Bettman has a track record of of misleading people in direct answers, not telling the truth, and then just moving on from it. That's like I can go through ten years. I don't want to recap history, but it's a fact. It's happened way too often, and to me, it's just um, it just keeps adding on, and it's only getting worse. It's not getting better. Like the the punishment comparable for the Blackhawks to this Ottawa Senators thing is revolting to me. That's all
3: kudos to Michael Ann Lauer for being as honest yeah. and transparent as he was. Yeah,
1: Like if you're a sense fan, you should be loving your new owner and hopefully he's the new age owner that um, will have a little bit more of a focus saying, you know what? We can make all the money. I have no problem with capitalism. You want to make all your money, but there's still a certain set of values and morals. You should have while you do it. So um, I think the NHL has teetered on the brink of really not showing those. And in lots of cases I've shown they don't have it. Um, at least to a level that I would deem acceptable. So we'll see. Um, uh, To the ice, Frank, um, I I guess, um, you know, you've talked about this beforehand, but now Steve who no no shock, he's the interim GM, which I think might become the full-time GM at some point, uh, Alec Aldubis, we'll see. Uh, Maybe not. But um, DJ Smith, now you don't have Dorian, who was the guy who hired you, how much longer do you think DJ Smith has like if if the sands all of a sudden find themselves you know even 500 at the end of, of November is that is that enough? does, does he's got to be above 500 is he not?
3: Yeah, I think there's real pressure for him to get this team finally moving in the right direction. What I would say is if there's any indication that his seat is hot, Steve Steos didn't tip his hand on Wednesday. in fact, professed support for DJ Smith. And well, you know what that means, Frank, how many GMs have professed no, <laughs> support it wasn't, for a coach? It wasn't uh, outward like that. In fact, it was it was very, um, I found it very confidence inspiring. Like, you know, usually when you get, you have a, a GM or president of hockey ops asked about the coach and they say, well, we haven't made any decisions yet. And you hear like the yet at the end of it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, uh, like you just told us that you're thinking about it. I don't get the sense that this is something that's pretty high on their priority list. And one of the things that he said that supported that was that players have never cheated us in effort under DJ Smith. And so that I think has been a huge positive for, for DJ Smith at this point, but in the end, the results speak for themselves and the sends in, in what is a big year for them and is already obviously off to a rocky start they they could use some wins.
1: Yeah. No, that's fair. Hey, speaking of using wins, the I also night- by the
3: way, just to put a, a bow on the Ottawa talk, I I do think there was so much talk about Peter shirelli on Wednesday. I don't I mean, I'm not saying it won't happen, um but when we were at the board of governors meeting uh less than a month ago, it was like 28 days ago, um talked to Michael Ann Lauer and asked about Peter Shirelli. And he said at the time, and Shirelli, as a reminder, is a senior VP for the St. Louis Blues. He said that Shirelli had reached out and obviously being an Ottawa native has tons of connections to Ottawa, but this was four weeks ago, said that they hadn't had a chance to connect. So, um, I'm like, I'm with you. Steve Steos did not talk at all yesterday, like a man who seems to be in a rush to find a GM. And I think he's perfectly comfortable, even though Michael Anlauer mentioned the idea that he likes having a two headed monster running his uh, hockey ops in, in GM and president. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see him hang on to the title as GM. Yeah.
1: Um, speaking of uh, needing wins, the uh, Calgary flames have lost six in a row um they're two seven and one in their first ten. now jake ottinger played great last night right stopped 43 of 46 so it wasn't necessarily lack of of playing poorly that cost in that one uh, other games you can definitely say that has uh been the case but you know you, you look at them they're now seven points behind the anaheim ducks who uh sit in fourth place in the pacific division the ducks are rolling they they're gotten the exact opposite they've won five in a row at what like how concerned are you about the Flames? Like, is this, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would your concern be for the Flames that, um, you know, they might dig themselves too deep of a hole?
3: Um, I would say it is a 7. 1 to 10.
1: 1 to 10. Because I went back and looked at the last few seasons. There hasn't been a team that started 2, 7, and 1 that made the playoffs. That's a, like, I think it's it's a lot, especially when you consider like the ducks are playing great. And I think some of us think, okay, the ducks will slow down a bit. Okay. That's fair. But um, most people also believe what the Edmonton orders will uh, you know, they, they, I know they're, I was just going to say, the
3: Oilers have the same number of points and are two, two five games in hand. They, play right? two they have
1: two games there. in hand and they've got a, a pretty favorable schedule coming up. Like I won't be surprised if Edmonton goes four and one. And the, the difference is like, Edmonton has been a really good team for a long time. They're a good team who's played poorly. Calgary missed the playoffs last year and we can say goaltending and everything else. Sure. And, you know, there's a coach, but I don't put them in the same category of, of skill as Edmonton. And, uh, you know, I think Edmonton has a much better chance and probably will turn their season around here very quickly, but Calgary, man, like their top guys, Frank are
3: some real MIA guys right now. And that's, that's a big If we're talking pure math, like the math is still pretty doable. I mean, what you're looking at is the Flames needing 91 points over the final 72 games. So it's like yeah. 45 wins or the equivalent of that. Yeah. I mean I mean the math is 45 and 72, it's possible. It's yeah, but it's, it's pretty difficult, right? But that's yeah. But my my issue is more the eye test. It's it's not the math is daunting. It's what can we point to and hang our hat on and say, here's what the flames have done. Here's what, you know, here's what they have going for them that you can say, Oh yeah, I see the path for them to get there. And now that we've arrived at this point where the flames are, have basically halted all contract negotiations with their pending UFAs. I mean, to me, it's a, it's a two part thing. Like you, you not only have players now that are sitting here going, ah, I don't know if this is the place that it makes sense to resign, but you also have management taking a step back saying, hold on, do we need to change course here and not just not resign some of our guys, but also kind of begin to use one of the R words, retool, re- rebuild a little, whatever it might be. Can we get sign off from ownership to do things in a different way than maybe we had envisioned based on? what the plan was when we took over this team in June.
1: Yeah, no, it's fair. Now, Frank, I quickly looked it up. So you mentioned 45 wins in the last 72 games doable. Yes. Last season, five teams won 45 games in their last 72, New Jersey won 45, uh, Carolina, 46, Colorado, uh, Carolina Toronto, 46, Carolina or Colorado 47. And then Boston of course was crazy. They won 56. Um, which we all know is like the greatest season ever, pretty hard to to do. So if you think the the flames can be the Leafs, avalanche hurricanes or devils of last year, then they got a chance. otherwise, if you're in Calgary, you can argue that their their hole is so deep already that they might not that they can't recover from that
3: it's I mean, I could see you making the argument. I guess I'm just not there yet yeah, okay they're I mean, they're a four or five game winning streak away from being back in the conversation. Potentially, so not we'll potentially. See. It's fact. I mean, that
1: that's what it would be. Yeah, but but you got it, like right? They've lost six in a row, right? Like what? I understand. Did, I'll I, give I them see, credit. I they do actually. See the Jake and I have
3: watched the games.
1: Yeah, Jake Ottinger played really well, but um, sometimes it's a weird thing, man. You just momentum works good one way; it can also work uh, very poorly for you the other way. Um, and quickly, what about the Ducks? You know, uh, Mister Cronin has come in. And you know what? They're they've getting contributions. Troy Terry had the hat trick, including the overtime winner last night. Leo Carlson scored his third goal in six games. Mason McTavish has been very good. Um, you know, Frank for Toronto. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I give Anaheim, man. Like, I know it's a short, and I don't expect them to make the playoffs. But, man, they're off to a pretty competitive start. Like, they look good. They don't look like they're just winning because their goal, you know what, like, is, is making 50 saves a night and standing on his head.
3: I agree. They've been really good. Uh, we'll see. What does it ultimately mean at the end of the day? I, I don't, I don't know. I'd still be surprised
1: to be honest if they make the playoffs, but like they're, they've got a lot of young guys and Trevor egress has really yet to, to show up there. So like, even if you're not
3: actually like, what, what would you give their playoff chances right now?
1: Oh, I would still say they're a playoff team for Anaheim. I might still probably have it at like 15%. But my point is they're a pretty young team. So, you know, part of the process is to at least play some meaningful games in March, right? Where the things ratchet up. If they can stick around, Frank, and at least... Like, because last year they weren't, weren't even close, right? Like, it was a done season
3: by November 15th. But that's so, that's arguably what is necessary for this team. Like, I just view each additional win as another way to bleep yourself you don't think they have enough good young players
1: to start retooling
3: no, and, and being competitive no, no. Hmm. all right the chicago blackhawks don't feel like that and i think they're ahead of anaheim oh i
1: don't think so how
3: just because of bedard uh yeah you could say just because of bedard but if you think bedard is going to be the next closest thing to mcdavid then i think yeah, you're pretty much further ahead. I mean, you're you're also forgetting Kevin Korchinski is in the lineup. Like, they've got a whole bunch of guys that are going to be hanging around that, uh, you know, you're checking different positional boxes. Yeah. Well, the one thing about, you know,
1: here's the key about Anaheim, Frank, is the, when you look at key positions you need, I think, to be successful, is Luca Dostal the guy? Can he – because if you get a really good goaltender, he's 23, if you get a good goaltender, because it's not like John Gibson's being the guy here in Anaheim. He's one and three. Dostal's five and one well, with the Well, that's kind one. of what I was
3: going to say about how, you know, you can, we can praise the ducks and this five game winning streak, and I'm not taking anything away from them. They still started one and four. And even at their current pace, as good as they've been to this point, they're on track for 98 points, which would be a fringe playoff team. So it's, well, ninety-eight would be pretty.
1: Like you're,
3: you're ninety-eight, you're 98 points.
1: You're guaranteed a playoff spot. You're, you're not going to be it's, winning it's, the division. You're,
3: you're you're seventh or eighth. Yeah. At ninety-eight points. But you've never missed. Them, is my point. But what I'm saying is, they started one and four. This is just one team on a hot run.
1: Yeah. Or is it now that they have a goalie? Because look
3: yeah. at who is in net for most of those games when they lost. So I'm way more interested in talking about the Bruins. Okay who are looking to keep their season opening point streak at 10 games on Thursday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm wondering if we just don't give David Pasternak enough love. Have we even mentioned him on the pod this season? Uh, Eight goals in nine games. Yeah. 60 goals last year. Like, honestly, is he the best player that no one really even talks about all that much?
1: It's fair point. Yeah, he's uh well we talked about him lots last year. Like, you know, Pasternak dynamic player. And I, I think what he's showing is he's dynamic without Patrice Bergeron, right? Like Patrice Bergeron benefited from Pasternak as much as maybe Pasternak benefited from Bergeron, right? It wasn't uh it wasn't just all because I, I would hear, well, you know, Pasternak can be offensive because Bergeron is this, he's the defensive conscience. And I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily always believe that, right? Um Sure, Bergeron is elite defensively. There's no question. He's a good two way player too. But you're right about Pasternak, man. The guy, uh, well, he can shoot the puck, man, and he shoots it a lot.
3: Like, yeah, I love the it. That guy is not afraid to league. shoot the puck. He's it's crazy. Forty two shots to this point. It's not by far, but it's a it's a it's right up there in terms of the league lead. McKinnon forty nine, Eichel forty two, Austin Matthews forty. There's so few play driving wingers, and he's one of them. No, that's fair. There's that so few very... guys that you can point to on the wing and say, that guy is the guy, is the straw staring the drink, and he's one. Yeah, I, I I'm very curious to see
1: Boston because I think, and I think we'd all agree, Frank, that if they can add a center by the deadline. I think it, it'd be easy to put them in the conversation of legit cup contender because their defense, because they're Why, goaltending.
3: Hold on a second. Why wouldn't they be in that conversation right now? You don't think because they're I, cup? I don't think they're. Right if now? you
1: look at cup winning teams, I don't think their center depth is good enough.
3: I mean, doesn't eight zero oh, and one speak for itself? Like, count them out at your own peril. Their defense and their goaltending is so elite; they might not need it. Okay,
1: but sixty-five wins didn't get you a playoff win last year either. Is my point. Like, it's great that they have a good start. For me, yeah, well, I just think they needed like a, a soft
3: center
1: Yeah, like they need to have uh, a better center iceman for me to have them as a legit competitor uh, for the cup in the playoffs. If they win in the playoffs with this roster, Frank, could they win around? Sure. Could they win too? Maybe. I don't think they'd go to the cup final without the, with that center ice position. I just don't think so. And I think I think they're aware of it. And I think you watch. I think they'll look to address it.
3: Well, how, I mean, it's thank you. Captain obvious. Like, of course they're yeah. going to look to address the center position, but I, I, I think it's a reach right now. If you're not putting them in the cup contender category, I look, they're not, the not East, among the seven teams in the league that you think could win the Stanley cup right now.
1: Well, right now. Sure. But that, that can change. Like, you know, it's like people saying, is Edmonton not a cup contender? Cause they've had a, bu- a rat, a bad eight games. I wouldn't, I don't, I think too often we, we love to make like hot take knee jerk reactions after eight or 10 games. I like Boston. I think they're really good. I just don't, their center ice position, the roster they have today,
3: Frank, is not winning the cup. I don't think they have a chance to win the cup with that center ice position is all I'll say. Uh, I'd say with their nine forty save percentage, goaltending and very elite mobile defensemen, that you're counting them out. Yeah. But are they going to play the same goalie in the playoffs, right? I think they should play both goalies in the playoffs. It's <laughs> well, another. I think that's one of the lessons they learned from last year. Yeah,
1: very fair. Uh, let's bring in uh, Tyler Yaremchuk. Ty, how you doing?
0: Good. Always enjoy uh, sitting back and listening to an episode of the DFO Rundown where you guys argue about things for thirty-five minutes. Spicy one today, boys, on a Thursday. Hello. Um, all right, I'll try to keep the energy going here with a new edition of Buy or Sell. It is delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Don't let the holidays get ahead of you. If you're running out of times to run errands, go grocery shopping, and cook that delicious meal, it doesn't have to be this hard. Make DoorDash your holiday hack. And for a limited time, our Canadian listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and use the promo code that's up at the top of your screen if you're watching on YouTube, Nation 20. Five. Uh, one piece of news from this week you guys did not hit on yet. Nicholas Backstrom going to be taking some time away from the sport. Uh, it's kind of expected. This is maybe the end of the line for Backstrom. Over a thousand points. 82nd all-time in NHL scoring. Nicholas Backstrom, first ballot Hall of Famer by herself, Frank.
3: Man, I've thought about this a lot over the last couple of days. And I think, I think, think, think my answer is yes. And he doesn't have any of the individual hardware. He doesn't have, you know, there's no Selkie. There's no Con Smythe. There's nothing that you can point to and say, oh, that is super elite. But for, and and I guess the, the other part of this is you need someone on the other end to deposit all those goals that you're, you're dishing out on pucks. But for a... Generation Nicholas Backstrom was one of the three, five best playmakers in the game, and I think there's room for someone like that. The thing, the thing that trips me up about your question is: is he first ballot? Um, I'm gonna say no to first ballot, but I think yes, Hall of Famer. Is that fair?
0: I just think if you're at this point, the league's been around for well over 100 years. If you get into the top 100 in scoring, clearly you were elite for a long time.
3: Yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't know. That metric doesn't sway me. It's a really good question. Jeremy um, Roenick is top 100, and we're not saying, oh, to get him in the Hall of Fame. Fair, no. But I would
1: have him in the Hall of yeah. Fame if it's me. But um, I thought Jr. was a very unique player. Uh, I look at Backstrom, and and you're right. He was a very good playmaker for sure. Um, I, I think the when you look at the Sedin's overall numbers, the fact that they're in gives Backstrom a really good chance. Now, he didn't have the individual hardware that they had. So that's that's the one thing that's missing. I think for sure, without question, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'll say no to first ballot. I think uh, over time, he might get in. But you know what? You, you He played with Ovechkin. And like I like Backstrom. And I look at Nick Backstrom, and I'm like, what's the significant difference between Backstrom and Phil Kessel? right? Phil Kessel was a better goal scorer. Backstrom, obviously a better playmaker. You know, Phil was a pretty big, significant player on a few cup-winning teams, right? I, th- I think it'll be an interesting debate between the two. It's funny how some people perceive Phil that, you know, he wasn't a six-pack and, you know, he was kind of aloof guy. His teammates loved him, though. And so it's an interesting one because those guys, they kind of came up at the same time, right? Uh, their careers intertwined for a long time. Very similar in production. So um, I don't have him as a first ballot hall of famer, but I think he'll be in the discussion.
3: So let me give you some guys that are in the top 100 that are not in 47th, Jeremy Roenick, 49th, Bernie Nichols, 50th, Vincent Dampus, 52nd, Patrick Marlowe, who, by the way, hot take, I don't think is a hall of famer, uh, 53, Rod Brindemore. I mean, go down the list. There's, there's tons of guys that yeah. are way higher up than Nicholas Backstrom that won't end up going in and won't even really receive consideration. But I think what stands out is the playmaking two-way ability. Like he, he was really a, a dominant force for a while.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking at what our friend uh, Paul Paduti has, Frank, at Adjusted Hockey on Twitter. PPS has him as a borderline candidate for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So there you go. Um, all right, next one I got for you. You guys kind of hit on it already, but 12 points in their first 10 games. Are you buying or selling on the Ducks hitting 80 points this year, Frank? Um, 58 last year, so 22-point jump. I'm going to sell think at some point the cold snaps coming.
3: Yeah. I mean, look, I think the team that started one and four is much closer to the team that we're ultimately going to see. I think they're going to compete. They're going to work harder. They're probably going to have 17 more points, 15 more points. And it's going to, they're going to show some sign of market improvement, but I think at the end of the day, they are what they are. Okay. They
1: need 68 points in their final 72 games. Easy stuff for me. I will. Uh, I will say they get eighty points for sure. Um, I, I think the Ducks. I've watched a lot of their games. They've been entertained. They play hard. They they match the personality of their coach, and I think they have some skill. And uh, Dostal has given them some goaltending. I'm not saying he's going to be nine twenty all year, but if he's even nine ten, they'll uh, they'll get to eighty points for sure.
0: Last one I got for you guys. Frank, you talked about David Pasternak, his hot start, maybe not getting talked about quite enough. How about Quinn Hughes and the start he's off to in Vancouver, the start to his career right. as well. Uh, Quinn Hughes, Norris chances. You buying or selling on that, Jason?
1: Well, at the start of the season, he was my choice for the Norris. So, of oh, course, I'm buying. I uh, I will go all day. I, th- I thought Quinn Hughes is, was going to have a breakout season. He's going to put up the points. Um, if you looked at Vancouver's record under Rick Talker, that's why I picked the Canucks to make the playoffs. And that's why I tied it in. I thought the Canucks could make the playoffs. And then if you make the playoffs, you got to, and I know that Carlson, although Carlson's numbers were ridiculous, you know, he won it without making the playoffs. Usually it helps your, uh, your bunch. Um, not as much lately, I guess, because Fox and Carlson both did it, but I have Quinn Hughes. I think he's, he's going to be right up there. I, I think he'll be, uh, I'll be stunned. If Quinn Hughes isn't a finalist, I'll say that. Right. Like you never know, you know, Kale McCarr could do some Kale McCarr type things, right? Adam Fox is pretty good. So Kale McCarr you know, is still north of a point per game. Yeah. And, um, yeah, both of them are, but don't they both, I think they both have, I think they have identical stats, right? 11 and nine. So, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be hard for Quinn Hughes to kind of skate out from the shadow of Kale McCarr, but he's a definite legit competitor.
0: Frank? Uh,
3: totally agree. Um, By the way, I feel pretty good about that Thatcher Demko Vezina pick too. He's been pretty elite to start. And if the Canucks make the playoffs, he should be in the conversation. But Quinn Hughes, for my money, outside of maybe McCarr, who does it in a different way, the puck is on his stick, Mm -hmm. Quinn Hughes, almost the whole game, it feels like. And what's most impressive about it is that it's on his stick and off of it. And if you dig deep into the numbers, He's one of the league leaders in passes completed and, and all those different metrics, the different types of stats that really are difference makers that show you how much of the game he controls. Yeah.
0: All right, guys, there you go. That's a wrap on this week's edition of Buy or sell delivered by DoorDash. Planning for your next trip.
1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com
3: slash host it's
1: funny you mentioned frank there are certain picks early that i've liked Uh, i've obviously hated my boston pick but uh jake ottinger for the uh vesna he's off to an excellent start same with uh demko uh quinn hughes Uh, you know it's funny like probably not talked about as much. And I know he missed two games, but, but Connor McDavid by his lofty standards has, has had a a rather quiet start to the regular season, which is the, which is the main reason why I expect, like, I don't put Edmonton in Calgary's category Edmonton. I think the month of November, well, it's not hard. they will be much better than they were in October because they were terrible. But um, I think like Edmonton's ready for takeoff here because they've actually had way more individual players playing below their standards, even including McDavid. I'm not saying McDavid's playing bad because his standard is so much higher than most players, but by his standards, it was a rather pedestrian October. And uh, I I think you'll see 97 have a few of those games. Like, you haven't really seen him in highlight packs this year. You know what? Like, it's just, it's kind of been a quiet year for him. and, and, And really, the order's offensively. Like, their top six combined is averaging a goal a game less through the first eight games this year than they did last year. Last year they had twenty-three goals at top six. This year they have sixteen. Like, they're even some of their best guys aren't producing. And you know, there's others around the league. Like Johnny Gaudreau doesn't have a goal yet mm-hmm. in uh, in Columbus. What about Seattle? Beniers and Wenberg. Frank, your top two centers are both goalless through ten games.
3: It's the McDavid one is really interesting to me because you obviously had the injury, but even before the injury. He wasn't doing McDavid like things like you weren't seeing that charge up the ice, putting defensemen on their heels, leading the rush like that stuff just wasn't happening. And so I had kind of poked around a little bit and asked, hey, is is the injury that he ultimately ended up missing time for? Was that lingering beforehand? And the answer I got was no. So I don't have a way to explain it, but it's very odd in that. When you think back to last year and how off Austin Matthews was all year and how he didn't look like a factor at times, he still scored 40. But I kind of have the same feeling from McDavid these first, you know, handful of games of the year. Something yeah. is just not right. That could be fair. Um, I, I wonder
1: if while they couldn't say for sure it was lingering, like if you have a, you know, the tight hip flex or something, like it just might, you don't know what's there. Right, but it it's just and two percent can three percent can be a big difference, even for the elite players, like Mcdavid's only, and I say this facetiously a one point five point per game player, right, like most guys would be doing cartwheels to be that, but when you're a guy who hovers around one point eight right that that can be the difference of three four percent in health, so um you know, their power plays is a little bit below where they were five percent actually where they were the last few years. I expect that to uh to increase here and and really just their five on five play, the big thing, frank is if they keep the Nugent Hopkins, Kane, Hyman line together, which I would, if I was Jay Woodcroft, that allows you to play dry settle with McDavid. And then you have two solid lines. That's a, you know, you can do that for a month and be fine. And then you can always separate the two if you need them, but Kane and Hyman are both legit. You know, those guys mean first line wingers at times, if they're on your second line, that's pretty good.
3: Yeah. No kidding. Hey, by the way, I just looked it up because I was curious in the meantime, since we were talking The league leader in completed passes this season is not Quinn Hughes. It's another defenseman, and we probably wouldn't guess. Shea Theodore. Oh, yeah. 430 completed passes in all situations. Quinn Hughes second at 408. The league average, so he's 408 completed passes. The league average so far this season is 130. (laughs) Bananas. (laughs) Who's in the top 10? Uh, so it's Theodore, Quinn Hughes, Eric Carlson, Adam Fox, Rasmus Dalin, Drew Dowdy, Vince Dunn, Victor Hedman, Noah Hannafin, Miro Haskinen. Hmm. Wow. Kale McCarr is 13th, Mo Sider 14th. Some surprising names here. Cam York, 18th. Yeah. Sean Dersey, 15th.
1: That plays a lot, right? So you got to play a lot, I think, to be on that list for sure. So that helps. But yeah, that's like to be that much higher than everyone else just shows you hey, guys who play well, but are also, you know what, completing completing even 10 foot passes consistently, Frank, all the time, I think is
3: an underrated skill. Here's an another unreal Quinn Hughes stat, okay? Puck carries in all situations. So the definition of a puck carry is any path where the puck possessor travels six plus feet. Quinn so- Hughes has 16 more puck carries than any other player in the league. He has 412 puck carries this season of six or more feet. And the league average is 119.
1: Yeah. Now, is there any forwards in that? Is it all D men still?
3: Um, Clayton Keller is ninth. Mm, okay. He's the only forward. Mm. No, hey,
1: Quinn Hughes, man, like you watch, I watched Vancouver four times already this year. And when he gets the puck, you can't get the puck. Like he's so mobile and he's so quick. Like watch, watch Quinn Hughes and how one of my, my favorite parts of watching Quinn Hughes is when he goes in back and gets the puck, there's a four checker on him. Watch his turns coming away from the four checker. Like so deft. He blows away from them. It's, it's almost and like these are elite players in the league. Like they're the best players in the world and he skates away from them. Like it's no big deal. So
3: it's fun. So to watch. he's also six in the league in all puck recoveries, which is crazy. He just, there's something it's, it's not just the skill with him. I think when you're mentioning something like being under pressure, it's also the ability to it's, it's evade, but it's confidence that allows you to do that, to be able to see the game, and and be a step ahead of where someone's coming at you and the confidence to pull it off. Like he's not, that's, that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, very impressive. Frank, have a good weekend. We will uh, chat with you on Monday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Volley and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.
2: That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, in-store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail23. Shopify.com slash retail23.